Hello, and welcome back to the 26th episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Zach Green. And I'm Luca DeLosta. In today's episode, we have a lot on the slate to talk about. We'll open with the NBA All-Star Weekend, move into some NFL quarterback situations, that Caps terrible loss down in Raleigh, North Carolina, our thoughts on the new coaching hires, and Super Bowl 57. Let's jump right into it. All right, Luca, let's jump right into this NBA All-Star game because, I mean, an historic game. Jason Tatum, the all-time All-Star point leader per game with 55 points. It was a heck of a game from Tatum. I mean, he was hitting everything. He was shooting the ball, dunking the ball. But the thing about the All-Star game is it's almost bound for a player to go 50-plus in the All-Star game. The defense is non-existent. And it's kind of what that Denver Nuggets coach said after is, the game really means nothing at the end of the day because nobody's really trying. And I saw something on social media, and this happened in the game with Tatum and Jalen Brown. Could we see like a 1v1 style tournament next year? Because it looks a lot more competitive, and if you put like teammates or close rivals against each other, it makes it more, I think, enjoyable to watch because they actually have something to play for. And that's something I will get into. I, I was going to get into later with the dunk contest is like, should they replace the dunk contest with something like a 1v1 with stars like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, these all star players? Let them go one on one. Why not? But the all star game itself, it's also an injury hazard for some players. I mean, a perfect example was this year LeBron James when he went for a block and he gets his finger caught on the rim and all of a sudden he has to sit out the rest of the game and people are in question. Going off of that, it's really kind of interesting to see how it plays out because in these kind of games, the big men aren't always like the focal point. Like Nikola Jokic said, it's not really for him because it's hard when you're, you know, a player of that size and, you know, so, so talented. But all these guards are really doing are like Damian Lillard chucking threes or just throwing, you know, half court lobs to each other, which is fun. That's what makes it interesting because you get to see all this talent. But when you come down like the defensive side of the game, yeah, and, you know, towards the end, they get a little more competitive to get that target score. But overall, it's not the most, you know, competitive game. And I think the game, the All-Star game as a whole, is turning more towards charity, which is good. It's for a, a phenomenal cause. The winner of each quarter, a certain amount of money goes to the charity of their choosing, Team LeBron, Team Antetokounmpo. So the cause, I think, is bigger than the game itself. So let's start into team LeBron and their stats so like we said LeBron got injured leading scorer Jalen Brown who was off the bench he went 16 for 27 3 for 12 from 3 14 rebounds 5 assists and 35 points I mean the Celtics really just showed out and they're showing why their team is first in the entire NBA when it comes to record but you also have Kyrie Irving Joel Embiid each had 32 points Kyrie had 15 assists does his thing as a guard and Joel had seven rebounds, four for eight from three, kind of just continuing his dominance on the court. And Jokic and Doncic were a disappointment. Jokic said after the game, like we said, the All-Star game wasn't for him. He played 20 minutes, two for four, 0 for one from three, five rebounds, six assists, four points. And then Doncic played 19 minutes, two for five, 0 for three from the three line, which is unlike him, two rebounds, five assists, and again, four points. And then for Team Antetokounmpo, Antetokounmpo scores the first basket, checks out. He was dealing with a wrist injury, just managing the pain. 
But then there's obviously Tatum, who led them with 55 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 10 for 18 from 3. That's unbelievable. And then, you know, my guy, Donovan Mitchell, the second leading scorer. And don't discredit him. He had 40 points. Played 30 minutes, 15 for 25, 8 for 17 from 3, 4 rebounds, 10 assists. Played an amazing game. Was pulling up from deep. And then we also have sleepy performances, Laurie Markkinen and John Morant. Markkinen played for 26 minutes, 6 for 13, which is okay. 1 for 6 and 3, 7 rebounds, 13 points. Morant, 20 minutes, 3 for 4, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. And then the man of the hour on Team Antetokounmpo minus Tatum was Dame Dollar, who was hitting, I mean, he hit one from beyond half, and then he hit the one to end it at the end, finally, after a very long All-Star game. 26 points, 8 for 20 from 3, so subpar from 3. 19 for 21 from the field, 4 assists. He did his thing, chucked up a couple threes, ended the game when it needed to be ended. Only only one of his shots were not a three ball, so that's what Damian Lillard does. But overall, the game was pretty good. Jason Tatum was just on fire. It was fun to see everybody play like it usually is, and deservedly so winning the All-Star game. Kia MVP. And then into festivities of the All-Star Game, three-point contest, dunk contest, skills challenge. The biggest one I think we can both agree was the dunk contest and Mac McClung, but the three-point contest, speaking of three balls, just summary of it, you had two pacers, Halliburton and Heald, against Dame Dollar in that final round. Dame Dollar comes out with 26 to win it, and it just shows you Dame Dollar is truly a three-point shooter. You mentioned he only shot one shot that wasn't a three-ball in the All-Star Game, wins the three-point contest, finally getting some hardware. And... I want to talk about Julius Randle in this. He is, I mean, he played terrible, and his son was so sad to see him all sad, but again, he wasn't an injury replacement for Anthony Simmons of the Trailblazers. He's having a pretty good year. But the three-point contest is always fun to watch, even from, like, a young age, because you don't really know, you know, if you don't really know all the players, like, them just shooting threes and making them, it's fun, fun to see. But it was better when there was players like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Dame Dollar. All you know are going for 25-plus points. Kyle Clover as well. Exactly. There's the Players just aren't the same, I feel like, now. The competition isn't as competitive as it used to be. So moving on into the skills competition with a number of different events. First was the Team Relay, so Team Antetokounmpo, Team Rooks, who had Paolo Boncaro, Jabari Smith, and Jaden Ivey. And then Team Jazz with Jordan Clarkson, Walker Kessler, and Colin Sexton. The relay was run by the Rooks. The skills competition to me is is the weakest event, minus usually the dunk contest. I feel like there's not much advertisement around it. You don't really know. And then the events, like Team Antetokounmpo this year was super, super strange. Because there was two brothers, and then there was Drew Holiday because Giannis couldn't perform in it with injury. So I feel like to a certain point, you have to just scrap some of these All-Star Weekend events. Definitely. And then moving on into the dunk contest, that this was a fun one with K.J. Martin from the Rockets, Mac McClung from the Blue Coats and Slash 76ers, Trey Murphy the third from the Pelicans, Jericho Sims from the Knicks. So let's talk about Mac McClung, because not many people know who he is. I mean, he's a guy who... Literally, the week of the dunk contest, signed a two-way contract with the 76ers. So he hasn't been in the league much of any. He's fighting for a roster spot. And he comes into the dunk contest and just turns the lights out. 
with his performance. I mean, 720s, his last dunk was a near 720 reverses, pulls out his high school jersey. I think he saved the dunk contest because if they performed poorly again for another year, I think people were really good at like petition for the removal of the dunk contest. Did he save it? I mean, I definitely think he did, and he brought a lot of attention to himself and the NBA because, you know, I saw something. He had like 91,000 followers on Instagram before the contest and then a million plus after. So he brought a lot of attention, which ultimately all sports, including the NBA, is a business, and that's what they want, views, ratings, and money. And they sure got that with McClung's performance. All right, so moving on into the NFL quarterback situation. Very intricate for all these quarterbacks. Probably the most is Lamar, but we'll start off with Mr. Derek Carr. Spent his whole career drafted by the Raiders, but following this past season, he was released. The 14th in passing yards with 3,522. 12th in passing touchdowns with 24. But tied for second in interceptions with 14. But Luca. Why is that kind of aggravating to see that interception number that high? It's because he's consistently throwing too many interceptions. You're looking at back-to-back seasons with 14 interceptions, but you go to the 2019 and 2020 seasons, he only threw for 17 combined. So his numbers for interceptions are way up, but he's still a guy who can get you a good number of passing yards. But he had the weapons also this year to succeed. He just could not. Definitely. He did. He's one of the best wide receivers in football, Devontae Adams. Tight end, who wasn't the healthiest, but still really good. And Hunter Renfro, who had a disappointing season. And then you look at the running back. I mean, Josh Jacobs, Pro Bowl. I mean, he had an amazing season. So that is, you know, kind of aggravating to look at from the Raiders' side of things. But he's also a very healthy guy. He's played 15-plus games every season. And this past season, he only played 15 because he got benched some of them at the end of the the season when they really had no chances so I mean he's a guy who can bring a lot to the table if you give him the right right weapons the right scheme you know that's why he visited with the Jets and they told him if you play with us you could be a first ballot hall of famer well that's a stretch I don't know he has no Super Bowls no MVP he doesn't have much of any hardware to back himself up first ballot hall of famer is a very large stretch and the Jets they're good but I don't see them going far anytime soon So let's move into this Lamar Jackson situation. I'll let you start it off. Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson. I've seen so many different perspectives of how much money he's getting offered, how much of it's guaranteed. Is he still in negotiations with the Ravens? Nobody knows what's happening right now with Lamar Jackson. All that we know is he's right now, unless franchise tag, going to be an unrestricted free agent. He most likely won't be a Raven by the end of next season. And that's about it. Well, the thing that, if you're a Ravens fan, would kind of get me mad is that they, don't get me wrong, Roquan Smith is a great player, all pro, traded for him from the Bears midseason, but they gave him an extension before Lamar, and they gave him $20 million a year. So you're already digging into your cap space. It's just, it feels like Lamar Jackson is a Raven, and it's weird if he goes anywhere else. But, you know, reports came out in the past couple of days that they could be as much as $100 million off in guarantees. And if you're that far off, I don't see them getting an extension. Where I could, For my prediction, I think they're going to franchise tag him and then trade him to, to a team like the Falcons. Which 
right now, in my eyes, as a Ravens fan, is not the worst situation because you know you can get a lot out of Lamar. You can definitely get one first-round pick, maybe stretch for a second first-round pick. You can get a lot out of Lamar, and he's a guy who hasn't been healthy in the past two years. He doesn't win you playoff games. Do you really want him leading your team when he has consistently proven he cannot get it done when the lights are brightest? But that's also, you know, kind of a negative when you look at another team wanting to trade for him because, you know, if, what if they're in the thick of the playoff race, he gets, you know, a little bruise, and then he's out for the last four games this season. Lamar's situation this past season was very, very quiet, and you never really know that much information of what's going on, which is why he never really played because no one really knew. I, I don't know about nobody really knew, when especially the injury. Like he had a PCL sprain, and they were saying his knee was, like, swelling and stuff. Again, as you said, we don't really know. But there's probably, I think there's a really big disconnect between him and John Harbaugh and that, oh, and, yeah. that and the whole front office, which is why they, they don't really know his timetable of return. And I don't think, I think Harbaugh is really disconnected from the team as a whole this year. We saw Marcus Peters get in an altercation with him on the sideline before, so he's probably not going to be a Raven this after this year's contract's up, hefty contract, let him go. But I, I feel like Harbaugh is kind of straying away from the Ravens as a whole, and that brings a question later. Is do they get rid of Harbaugh at a certain time, maybe next season, after the season, whenever? So let's move in to Aaron Rodgers, and could we see him in a New Jersey just return from his couple-day darkness retreat? But it's very possible because you talk about you know his backup, Jordan Love. He could emerge— you know, as a trade candidate here, because entering his third NFL season, never really played, got, I think, one or two starting games when Rodgers was hurt and had COVID. But don't forget, Aaron Rodgers is still in his form. He won a back-to-back MVP the past two years before this last season. And he's looking to get another. He wants to win another MVP. And he definitely wants to win a Super Bowl, so he won't go somewhere where he doesn't have a chance at a Super Bowl. I think he's going to stay a Packer. I don't really think they're going to trade him. But, yeah, again, you never know. He's kind of like same with Lamar. Like he doesn't really speak about it. He's kind of quiet about it. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. And with Alan Lazard probably not going to return, like he said, after their loss, it's, you know, Christian Watson's going to have to step up big time, and he probably can. But I don't know if Aaron Rodgers wants to be a part of this big, you know, offensive rebuild that they're going to have to do. With, you know, probably only a couple years left of playing, maybe even like one or two, you know, he might want to go somewhere where he can win then. Like, you know, you have the Raiders, the Jets, a lot of a lot of teams could push for him. The Raiders would be interesting. A, a reuniting of Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers just in a new uniform would be pretty interesting. So let's move into the Capital Stadium Series disaster. Probably was over before it started. The Canes scored very fast. Darcy Kemper led in some pretty bad goals. The Cavs lost 4-1, and they're lucky they lost 4-1. There was one goal that they, the Canes should have scored. They just missed in that. I don't remember who it was, but it was wide open that they missed it. Obviously, they were missing Ovechkin. He lost his father, and so he was with his family. But the Caps as a whole, they're just they're tanking right now. They're going for a rebuild, and... It's unfortunate because we've seen so many years of success to watch a team just not succeed. And the Caps are all, you feel like they always have a chance in these big games because a couple games before the Hurricanes, then 
in Raleigh, they they went in and beat the Bruins, which is arguably another one of the best teams in hockey. So it's frustrating when they play, you know they play good versus these good teams, and then they just come and give you this big disappointment. But the atmosphere, man, did the Raleigh fans, the North Carolina people, show out? They were tailgating before, and the energy in that stadium was electric. And it was only, I think they said, 1,300-something feet from the PNC Arena, which is where the Hurricanes play, as it was just very, it was, it felt like the Hurricanes were going to win. I mean, if you don't, if a team that good, you go in your own, basically, backyard of your stadium for a Winter Classic and lose, it's pretty uncommon. Yeah, definitely, and the Caps just, again, they didn't show they got outshot 35-25. to 25. They went 0-2 on the power play. Carolina went 1-4 for 4 in the power play. They were sitting in the penalty box for 13 minutes. They sat in a penalty box for over half a period. You cannot win a game when you're a man down for 13 minutes. And they recorded 22 boxes because that was they were pretty under attack the whole game. And then the only positive was... The Navy Credit Stadium was the Cavs proved they are physical. They had 25 hits to the Hurricanes, 12. And that's probably because of their only goal scorer, Tom Wilson, was back. And Garnet Hathaway, he's a big hitter. Dimitri Orloff, big hitter. But both those guys are gone. The Caps are losing their identity as a team right now. And it is sad because you're talking about, we're talking about Rodgers being towards the end of his career. Does he want to go through a rebuild? Does Ovechkin want to go through a rebuild? He's towards the end of his career. We want to see him break Gretzky's record. But if he's going to lose, he has no point in staying to play hockey. So I don't know how much more Ovechkin can take if they go tanking and they are a bad team for a couple years. So let's move into some new NFL coaching hires. And let's talk about, started off with Cardinals new head coach Jonathan Gannon, who was previously the Eagles defensive coordinator. For me, I'm not really set on how this is going to work, really, in Arizona. It's similar situation to Shane Steichen, we'll get into later, but he's going from a very good Eagles team, and he was with a very good Eagles defense, to a very poor Cardinals defense. And a very, very good Eagles GM. Yeah, they, they ha- he had every weapon in the world over in Philly. Here in Arizona, does not have much to work with. And you know, he's a defensive coordinator. This team's probably going to be defensive-minded, but they were third worst in pass touchdowns allowed, bottom 10 in pass yards allowed, bottom 10 in rush touchdowns allowed. Nothing seems to add up for success in Arizona. And, you know, J.J. Watt retired, and, you know, not really, you know, Isaiah Simmons you could maybe build off of. Buda Baker as well, but, yeah, there's just nothing. But it'll be interesting to see how that team works out this upcoming season. You know, Kyler Murray off the ACL tear. So a lot going on in Arizona. And then moving on to the Ravens, offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who was the Georgia offensive coordinator. I'm excited for this. I think he can transform the Ravens offense. I don't think it will happen this season. But, I mean, you look at what he was able to do with the Georgia offense 41.1 points per game. That was fourth in the country. 272 plays of 10-plus yards, 98 of 20-plus yards, first in the country. Good balance of run plays and pass plays, 53% run, 47% pass. He seems to be a good balance. He can get it done. 
But can he get it done at the NFL level would be the big question. And like you said, I don't think he'll be able to do it. I thought, you know, I didn't know that you thought it would be the season. I think it's he'll, the first couple of games will be a big slump because it's a big change. And coming into an offense where, as of right now, before any trades or signings or anything, it's pretty dull. You don't really have much to work with, and it's a run-heavy offense. But for Todd Munkin, it's probably big. Whoever, for the offensive coordinator position in the interviews, the Ravens weren't promising Lamar would be there. So I think if you're game-planning-wise, it's a pretty big difference from looking at a Lamar Jackson to maybe like a Tyler Huntley or somebody else. So that's probably a big question mark in his mind. And that's a big question mark in everyone's mind, especially Ravens fans. Todd Monken's coming in here hoping he's scheming an offense around Lamar Jackson. He might be scheming an offense around Tyler Huntley for a year or two. And those are, as you said, two very, very different players. And then the next guy, Panthers hiring Frank Reich, was the Colts head coach. So, Zach, what are your thoughts on this one? Frank Reich isn't the best, but I don't think he was given a fair chance in Indianapolis. He didn't get, you know, he's a brilliant dude. He didn't get much time to really prove himself. And the Colts were just a struggling team. You know, old, stinky Matt Ryan. Michael Pittman wasn't playing that good. Jonathan Taylor this past season, you know, he played decent, but not Jonathan Taylor like everyone was expecting, like that 1.1 pick in fantasy drafts. You know, their defense, Darius Leonard got hurt. They just weren't the best team, and Frank Reich, you know, deserves to have a chance. I'm happy he gets in Carolina, but, boy, does he have a lot of work on his hands. I don't really know about this hire either because you look at— he had, as you said, he had weapons in Indianapolis, but they were either playing very poor, injured, on and off the injury report. But in Carolina, man, are there very limited options. You're talking about DJ Moore, and that's about it. So let's move into the Broncos head coach, Sean Payton. And it feels like for this team, like for the past two seasons, they just like, they've been getting people that, you know, sound great. You know, Russell Wilson, you know, they have. They got Nathaniel Hackett, who didn't work out. Now they got Sean Payton, who is much more successful than Nathaniel Hackett. So what are your thoughts on this hiring? As you said, the name-wise, this is a fantastic hire, but they got Russell Wilson last year, and everybody's like, ooh, the Broncos are a team to watch out for. They didn't even make playoffs. So I think this year will be a test. Was it Hackett's fault, or was it Russell Wilson just declining as a player? And that's really going to be shown this season. And then moving into the Texans head coach, D'Amico Ryan's Ford Nash defensive coordinator, probably one of the best coordinators in the NFL. So it's a big thing there. And going into a, you know, young defense where you have, you know, different people you can build off of and the offense where you're most likely going to get a franchise quarterback. And, you know, don't forget about John Meachie, who didn't play last year due to sickness, but he can come back and he can make a big difference. You know, Damian Pierce, who's a young animal, Brandon Cooks, but, you know, you have people you can build off of, and if you want to, you know, try to get that defense going, this is the guy. And he definitely is the guy. I mean, you look what he did with that 49ers defense. They recorded league-high interceptions with 20. They only gave up 20 passing touchdowns, 11th in the league with 44 sacks. Their rush defense allowed the second-least yards least yards per carry, only 11 rushing touchdowns. Again, he's a guy, I think, who will be a defensive-minded, and he will turn Houston around 
again, I think it will take one or two years. And I think they have to let him go through a bit of a struggle to find success. They did not allow Lovey Smith to do that. And then finally, new coach head coach Shane Steichen, who is the Eagles offensive coordinator. But the weapons difference is crazy going from arguably the, the MVP of the league in Jalen Hurts and then probably one of the best wide receiver duos in the game to now Matt Ryan as it is right now. It's going to be interesting because, again, this is similar to the Cardinals situation. You just go from a team, as you said, with so many loaded weapons everywhere, and then you go into this this Colts team where they have potential. Can they click it together is the next question. So I think they have opportunities. Look out for Jonathan Taylor, though, in fantasy because the Eagles' rush attack was very, very good, and the Colts have a good offensive line as well. So watch for Jonathan Taylor in fantasy. But Zach, there's one offensive coordinator we did not mention, and I think we should talk about it, is Eric Bieniemy. And I was talking to you about this yesterday, and I think it's a long time coming. Five straight AFC championships at home, and the Eagles, both coordinators, they make the Super Bowl, and nevertheless the NFC Championship for one year, and they both get jobs. So Bieniemy, this is a long time coming. I think, like you were saying yesterday, He's, it's a setup in Washington, and he's going to move into the head coaching job. But it's also interesting because, I mean, yeah, he has this young offense. Sam Howell is probably going to be the starter, and he's young offensive weapons. But you also don't have the best quarterback, arguably the best coach in Andy Reid, and the best tight end to kind of hide behind. So, you know, it's interesting. But he's a offensive mastermind, and as you mentioned, I do think this is a setup. I think that the commanders are just waiting to like drop two, three games in a row, maybe four, and say Rivera out and put Biennemi in at head coach. I, I would not be surprised if that happens, but you never know. Maybe they turn things around, and we saw what he was able to do against the Eagles defense in the Super Bowl, which we'll get into in a minute. So he's facing the Eagles twice a year now. It's really interesting what Biennemi is going to be able to do. And then some others that we didn't mention, Vic Fangio, the New Dolphins, defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, the Vikings, defensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien is the new Pats offensive coordinator, and then Nathaniel Hackett is the Jets offensive coordinator. So into the Super Bowl, I want to talk to you about that last minute holding call. It's just a Super Bowl decided on another penalty. Nothing new. We've seen it so many times this past season, and was it a hold? Yes. Was it a weak hold? Yes. Was the ball catchable? No. And that's where the difference was. If that was defensive pass interference, they probably don't throw that flag saying that ball is not catchable. Holding, they call the flag because he stopped him from running his route. And it's just, you know, another time the NFL has just proved themselves, quote-unquote, rigged because, you know, a team's season is decided by one little yellow, you know, dinky flag. And the Eagles played their hard outs in this game. I think Kadarius Tony had a big effect on it at the end of the game, taking them down to the five before they got that touchdown. And it's just sad because you, know, you wait all this time for the big game, and then here it is, and an ending like that where you just run the clock out and then kick a last, you know, a sub 10 second field goal. So it's just it's sad. But it's interesting. I saw another angle from this, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. Orlando Brown, the left tackle for the Chiefs, got his hands up in the neck face area 
on, I believe it was Hassan Reddick coming off that edge, and they missed the illegal hands to the face. Those penalties should have offset, and they should have replayed that third and what, eight it was? And that could have changed the dynamic of the game. They don't convert there. Hertz has a minute and 40 to drive down the field. Big difference. But another thing, now that we're talking about Hertz and everything, is the field. So many players were slipping, changing cleats, and I just want to hear, for a Super Bowl, you pay $800,000 to get that field ready. Was it suitable for the NFL Super Bowl? I don't know. They were trying something different, and it clearly didn't work, and it's probably the last time they do that. But I don't think you can really blame the loss on that because both teams had to play with it. So from that angle, it's kind of fair in that perspective, but I don't think it'll happen again. Luca, I wanted to bring this up to you. You don't know what I'm about to ask you. It's a question. Do you think Bronny James getting drafted has the team will change their mindset because they know they could possibly get LeBron with it? It depends where. If he goes to Orlando, no, because LeBron said he does not want to go play for the Magic. But but if his son goes there, he, he said the last thing he wants to do in the NBA is play with his son. That would be fantastic. And I think that whatever team, if that does happen, their jersey sales through the roof, their viewership through the roof. Everything about that team financially will go through the roof because that that's like his, history. Well, the thing about it is at that point, I don't know if it really means about cap space. So I don't know if LeBron really cares about the money at that point. Yeah, he's at the end of his career. It, you know, so Bronny was def- will definitely probably make the league, but... If, you know, if a team wants to draft Bronny and think about, well, could we get LeBron with this too? That's like a two-for-one in a way. I think LeBron would definitely push hard to play with his son. But it's, it's going to be interesting because Bronny is going to college next year. You can be one and done in the in with college ball, but college ball is a lot different than high school ball. And it's not guaranteed that Bronny's a one and done in college. And the longer he stays in college, the less likely it is for LeBron to stay in the NBA because the NBA is very demanding especially in LeBron who's getting up there in age when it comes to professional sports but with that bring us to the end of this episode from Luca DeLosta and Zach Green thank you for listening